section fifteen of the art of letters this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the art of letters by robert lind edward young as critic so little is edward young read in these days that we have almost forgotten how wide was his influence in the eighteenth century it was not merely that he was popular in england where his satires the love of fame the universal passion are said to have made him three thousand pounds he was also a power on the continent his night thoughts was translated not only into all the major languages but into portuguese swedish and magyar it was adopted as one of the heralds of the romantic movement in france even his conjectures on original composition written in seventeen fifty nine in the form of a letter to samuel richardson earned in foreign countries a fame that has lasted till our own day a new edition of the german translation was published at bonn so recently as nineteen ten in england there is no famous author more assiduously neglected not so much as a line is quoted from him in the oxford book of english verse i recently turned up a fairly full anthology of eighteenth-century verse only to find that though he has room for mallet and ambrose phillips and picken young has not been allowed to contribute a purple patch even five lines long i look round my own shelves and they tell me the same story small enough poets stand there in shivering neglect akenside churchill and parnell have all been thought worth keeping but not on the coldest topmost shelf has space been found for young he scarcely survives even in popular quotations the copy-books have perpetuated one line procrastination is the thief of time apart from that night thoughts have been swallowed up in an eternal night and certainly a study of the titles of his works will not encourage the average reader to go to him in search of treasures of the imagination at the age of thirty in seventeen thirteen he wrote a poem on the last day which he dedicated to queen anne in the following year he wrote the force of religion or vanquished love a poem about lady jane grey which he dedicated to the countess of salisbury and no sooner was queen anne dead than he made haste to salute the rising sun in an epistle on the late queen's death and his majesty's accession to the throne passing over a number of years we find him in seventeen thirty publishing a so-called pindaric ode imperium pelagi a naval lyric in the preface to which he declares with characteristic italics trade is a very noble subject in itself more proper than any for an englishman and particularly seasonable at this juncture add to this that he was the son of a dean that he married the daughter of an earl and that other means of advancement having failed he became a clergyman at the age of between forty and fifty and the suggested portrait is that of a prudent hanger-on rather than a fiery man of genius his prudence was rewarded with a pension of two hundred pounds a year 
a royal chaplaincy and the position after george third's accession of clerk of the closet to the princess dowager in the opinion of young himself who lived till the age of eighty-two the reward was inadequate at the age of seventy-nine however he had conquered his disappointment to a sufficient degree to write a poem on resignation readers who after a hasty glance at his biography are inclined to look satirically on young as a time-server oily with the mediocrity of self-help will have a pleasant surprise if they read his conjectures on original composition for the first time it is a bold and masculine essay on literary criticism written in a style of quite brilliant if old-fashioned rhetoric mrs thrale said of it in the conjectures upon original composition we shall perhaps read the wittiest piece of prose our whole language has to boast yet from its over-twinkling it seems too little gazed at and too little admired perhaps this is an exaggerated estimate dr johnson who heard young read the conjectures at richardson's house said that he was surprised to find young receive as novelties what he thought very common maxims if one tempers mrs thrale's enthusiasms and dr johnson's scorn one will have a fairly just idea of the quality of young's book it is simply a shot fired with a good aim in the eternal war between authority and liberty in literature this is a controversy for which were men wise there would be no need we require in literature both the authority of tradition and the liberty of genius to such new conquests unfortunately we cannot agree as to the proportions in which each of them is required the french exaggerated the importance of tradition and so gave us the classical drama of racine and corneille walt whitman exaggerated the importance of liberty and so gave us leaves of grass in nearly all periods of literary energy we find writers rushing to one or other of these extremes either they declare that the classics are perfect and cannot be surpassed but only imitated or like the futurists they want to burn the classics and release the spirit of man for new adventures it is all a prolonged duel between reaction and revolution and the wise man of genius doing his best like a liberal to bring the two opponents to terms much of the interest of young's book is due to the fact that in an age of reaction he came out on the revolutionary side there was seldom a time at which the classics were more slavishly idolized and imitated miss morley quotes from pope the saying that all that is left us is to recommend our productions by the imitation of the ancients young threw all his eloquence on the opposite side he uttered the bold paradox the less we copy the renowned ancients we shall resemble them the more become a noble collateral he advised not a humble descendant from them let us build our compositions in the spirit and in the taste of the ancients but not with their materials thus will they resemble the structures of Heracles at athens 
which plutarch commends for having had an air of antiquity as soon as they were built he refuses to believe that the moderns are necessarily inferior to the ancients if they are inferior it is because they plagiarize from the ancients instead of emulating them if ancients and moderns he declares were no longer considered as masters and pupils but as hard-matched rivals for renown then moderns by the longevity of their labors might one day become ancients themselves he deplores the fact that pope should have been so content to indenture his genius to the work of translation and imitation though we stand much obliged to him for giving us an homer yet had he doubled our obligation by giving us a pope he had a strong imagination and the true sublime that granted we might have had two homers instead of one if longer had been his life for i heard the dying swan talk over an epic plan a few weeks before his decease for ourselves we hold that pope showed himself to be as original as needs be in his epistles to martha blount and dr arbuthnot none the less the general philosophy of young's remarks is sound enough we should reverence tradition in literature but not superstitiously too much awe of the old masters may easily scare a modern into hiding his talent in a napkin true we are not in much danger of servitude to tradition in literature to-day we no longer imitate the ancients we only imitate each other on the whole we wish there was rather more sense of the tradition in contemporary writing the danger of arbitrary egoism is quite as great as the danger of classicism luckily young in stating the case against the classicists has at the same time stated perfectly the case for familiarity with the classics it is he declares but a sort of noble contagion from a general familiarity with their writings and not by any particular sordid theft that we can be the better for those who went before us however we may deride a servile classicism we should always set out assuming the necessity of the noble contagion for every man of letters the truth is the man of letters must in some way reconcile himself to the paradox that he is at once the acolyte and the rival of the ancients young is optimistic enough to believe that it is possible to surpass them in the mechanic arts he complains men are always attempting to go beyond their predecessors in the liberal arts they merely try to follow them the analogy between the continuous advance of science and a possible continuous advance in literature is perhaps a misleading one professor gilbert murray in religio grammatici bases much of his argument on a denial that such an anthology should be drawn literary genius cannot be bequeathed and added to as a scientific discovery can the modern poet does not stand on shakespeare's shoulders as the modern astronomer stands on galileo's shoulders scientific discovery is progressive literary genius like religious genius is a miracle less dependent on time none the less we may reasonably believe that literature like science 
as ever new worlds to conquer that even if aeschylus and shakespeare cannot be surpassed names as great as theirs may one day be added to the roll of literary fame and this will be possible only if men in each generation are determined in the words of goldsmith bravely to shake off admiration and undazzled by the splendor of another's reputation to chalk out a path to fame for themselves and boldly cultivate untried experiment goldsmith wrote these words in the bee in the same year in which young's conjectures was published i feel tolerably certain that he wrote them as a result of reading young's work the reaction against traditionalism however was gathering general force by this time and the desire to be original was beginning to oust the desire to copy both young's and goldsmith's essays are exceedingly interesting as anticipations of the romantic movement young was a true romantic when he wrote that nature brings us into the world all originals no two faces no two minds are just alike but all bear evident marks of separation on them born originals how comes it to pass that we are copies genius he thinks is commoner than is sometimes supposed if we would make use of it his book is a plea for giving genius its head he wants to see the modern writer instead of tilting an exhausted soil staking out a claim in the perfectly virgin field of his own experience he cannot teach you to be a man of genius he could not even teach himself to be one but at least he lays down many of the right rules for the use of genius his book marks a most interesting stage in the development of english literary criticism End of section fifteen.